So how are you today? I'm good. I just popped this fidget toy right into the mic on accident. Oh, good. <laughs> how are you? I feel like a million bucks. Good. Ask me why. Why do you feel like a million bucks? I, you know when you do laundry and you put your pants on and you find money in them? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that happened to me today. How much? But on like, on like a figurative level. Oh, okay. I found an unopened pack of brand new socks that I didn't know that I had. Nice. So I'm wearing brand new socks today. <laughs> Where were they? Just sit like in a drawer. Sitting there, yeah. Like I just had put them away. Didn't think about it, and now mm-hmm. now I'm wearing them. So nice. It's the little things in life. I got brand new pair of socks, and that's really all that matters. So. <laughs> I've been having a good day all day. Good. Just because of that, my feet feel nice. That's good. That's a weird thing to say yeah. out loud when you think yeah. about it. Yeah, it was, but we can move past it. Anyway, <laughs> we, we're doing monsters today. Yep. All we're of doing, them. Oh, we're not doing every, <laughs> every monster. monster. Um, we're doing the 50 monsters in... Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my mind. Did you close your notes again? No, a notification popped up on my computer and said, uh, you you require a system restart. <laughs> no. So I clicked off of it, so we'll hope it doesn't ignore, restart. Ignore, ignore. <laughs> anyway, we're doing the monsters, the most famous monsters in every state. Yes. And so this is, a, this is a, came from a video. I'll mention the video later, but... um. There's a there's a particular YouTube creator that did a video on like your state has a monster, and covers some information on like all of these monsters. And I th- I want to say that he might be using like the same map that I used. I posted the photo today on our Instagram and our yeah I saw that Facebook that has like monsters listed everywhere. Mm-hmm. There was an error on one of the um like they they listed California. As having a different monster than what I think the most famous actually was. Oh, okay. And so, and it, the same monster was listed twice. So, oh. or rather, like California was listed twice mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. But anyway, I'll. Uh, Not a big deal. Yeah. So I fixed it on the episode. The episode's good. Um, <laughs> also, there's 50 monsters, and I got done with all of them. And I was like, I need to count to verify. <laughs> yeah. That I got all of them because I don't want this to like come back to haunt me later. We're gonna leave out a state and they're yeah. gonna have it out for you. Yeah. yeah. So like, and it'd be like a stupid state. Like, I don't want to stop. Stay. Stop. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know. It'd be like that time that like Tom Segura, the comedian, made like did a whole bit on Louisiana. Yeah. And everyone from Louisiana, Louisiana was mad, and he's yeah. like, "Why? <laughs> Every, everything I said was the truth." Um, <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so I counted and I had 49. Oh no. Who'd you leave out? I, Maybe you should it, say. it was a state that I didn't know I left out because I, I had like copied and pasted the entire list. Right. But the, the website that I got it from doesn't, they don't have information on it. They just list them. Yeah. And so. You had to like go through and figure out what was missing. Yeah. So I was like, what did I miss? And I copied and pasted the list. So I was like, I know I can't, I must've just accidentally deleted one of them. Mm-hmm. When I was like rearranging everything, so I accidentally left out like Nevada. Oh, so we were gonna have. Uh, well, I'll I'll get to it later. But okay. <laughs> anyway, 
Anyway, anyway, anyway. I have um, two things I, I want to say before we get into it. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So you okay. said the last episode we did Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Yep. And you said you have a story for that. So tell us. Yeah. Well, I want to say something else first because that story is really sad. So I don't want to start with that. Okay. So first, um, my coworker, Leah, listened to our last episode. Thank you, Leah. Shout out, Leah. And she told me that she had that gum graft thing that I was really scared about and said I was just going to ignore until it became a really big problem. Uh, and she said it wasn't that bad. So thank you, Leah, for calming my fears. <laughs> now I'm not as terrified anymore. Not, it's not that bad. Yeah, she said it just yeah. felt like somebody burned the roof of her mouth for a little bit, but that it was worth it. So maybe I, I won't put it off until it's detrimental. Maybe I'll actually go in sooner when I'm supposed to and get that done. Yeah. So thank uh, you, Leah. Thank you for listening and thank you for your advice. Did she get a, a cadaver gum? No, she. that's why she said it felt like the roof of her mouth was burned because she did it from her mouth. Oh, okay, yeah. So I would probably go that route. That's less scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, so. You should, you should do a cadaver just for the, like, for the podcast, I think. Maybe. It would be thematic. It would. It so. would. Um, okay, so then the story that you were going to tell about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Now we're getting serious. This is a really sad story that I found out after we recorded the episode. I was talking to my aunt, um, my aunt Latrenda, and she was telling me about a family member that of ours that actually was in the asylum. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to mention her name just for family privacy reasons, but she, we found out that she had been admitted to the asylum because she had epilepsy. And she, unfortunately, was one of the victims of getting a lobotomy, and she didn't survive it. So that is really, really sad. That's really sad. Yeah, because, I mean, nobody deserved that, obviously. Right. But she really shouldn't have even been there in the first place. And they just shouldn't have been doing that to people. Horrible. So I also have a story Mm -hmm. about the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Mm -hmm. And I haven't told you yet. I was saving it for the podcast. So I was talking to, I think it was my mom that first brought it up. I was talking to her and she said that, what, did you know that you had like a great grandma that was really in the asylum? Oh, my family member was like my great, great aunt, I think. So you had a great grandma? Yeah. So my great, great, I'll tell you. Yeah. So anyway, so I was like, no, I didn't. And she was like, well, you have to ask your grandma Mm because she would, she would know it's like closer to her anyway. So um so I went to her house. I was like, hey, you gotta tell me this story. And she was like, oh well, so my my grandma's mom, so my great grandma mm-hmm. um married uh when she married my great grandfather, it was his stepmom that was in okay. the asylum. So my it would be my great great step-grandmother. Yeah, that sounds right. So, anyway, so the story was, um, actually his, so my great-grandparent, my great-great-grandparents, his parents, his mom actually had killed herself oh. by, like, drinking lye. Oh, Or, like, man. lye or something. Yeah, that's awful. And my grandma was like, yeah, it eats your insides, mm-hmm. which is, like, a morbid way to describe it, but... I mean, it's accurate, yeah. Yeah, so... But she said that she actually, so she had killed herself, and she said that they don't really know, like, nobody really talked about it with their kids back then. Right. So they don't really know if it was, like, some kind of, like, terrible accident or if it was on purpose. Um, personally, I don't really know how you drink lye and not 
do it on purpose. I don't know. Right. But maybe, who knows? Anyway, she had ended up killing herself. And uh, so then my great-great-grandfather had married this other lady. And my grandma, this is my grandmother's words. So um, she said that she, this lady, didn't really talk plain. And mm-hmm. no, like people that didn't talk very good back in the day, they just, they didn't mess with them like they do kids nowadays. Mm-hmm. And well, you're like, you're a teacher, you know, they have all these programs for mm-hmm. like, like children that therapy. don't talk good or children that like can't read good or children, you know, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they don't really have those programs back then. And yeah. so they would just like, Hey, best of luck to you. And so anyway, she grew up. Ended up um, marrying my great grandfather, my great great grandfather, and uh, they had a baby. So it'd be my great grandfather's stepsister mm-hmm. or half sister, I guess. Um, anyway, so after that happened, uh, she had like a complete nervous breakdown. Aww. So she got put into the asylum because of her nerves, and I guess that's like a that's probably like a an official diagnosis, like you just got bad nerves. Yeah. Like on that document we posted. Yeah. So, um, so she went into the asylum and actually my grandma said that she, so nothing like, I mean, she got cured. So she went in and, uh, she actually, so my great grandparents would actually go and visit her Mm -hmm. at the asylum. And she actually ended up getting like, kind of like a worker's job there. Yeah. And, uh, she could, like go and show them all around the asylum and stuff and they would yeah. go and visit her and then praise the lord that eventually she, was okay. she just came home and mm-hmm. she was fine i guess after that that's so, good yeah but it was it's kind of interesting i guess that like very different experiences yes yeah so um but i don't know i guess the the takeaway from that was that like it's obviously horrible for a lot of people but i think yeah. maybe some people and probably a lot more than maybe people realize we're actually helped by the facility there. I think at the beginning, like we talked about, there were several earlier on, but um, before we move on from that, I didn't want it to seem like I was being callous, not mentioning my aunt's name on here, but you know, in the privacy of my family, we're making sure that she's remembered and talking about her, not letting her be forgotten. Yeah. Just don't want to put it on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Sad history there. So um, anyway, Moving forward with good yes. things. Mm-hmm. Make this maybe this will be a little bit of a lighter episode. Last time was pretty heavy. Nope. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this will probably be pretty light. Okay, cool. I also I'm going to mention that this. So I don't know how long this is going to be. Yeah, um, to our listeners, this is probably going to. This might be our I, longest episode yet. I don't know. So here's break it into parts if you need the to. Kind of rule that we kind of did. Obviously, like the listeners can just break it up as they can listen. Yeah. But we've kind of decided, like, if, if anything runs over, like, two hours, we're probably going to split Multiple it up. Part, yeah. If it goes too much over, like, two hours. Um, and so, but this will probably end up being, like, one of the longest episodes. But we have a lot to get into, and we're going to try to go through some of these pretty fast. Yeah. I did edit down some stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've got, like, 40 pages of notes, which is, like, the most notes we've ever had. But... I'm excited. I think it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> but listeners, just break it up as you need to. You don't have to listen to it all in one go. Yeah, so... I think um, I, I think a lot of it I can get through pretty quickly. Like most of them, we'll get through in a in a few minutes. There's some that have more or less detail, right? Um, 
And just, it's really just based on like what I could actually find online. Yeah. This is more of like an overview yeah. of the 50. So because we have our October, we're doing a monster extravaganza. Yeah. That starts next week, doesn't it? Because. Yeah. Yeah. Because oh, Sunday geez. is October 1st. That's mine and Dirk's yeah. one year anniversary on Sunday. Yay, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. So our extravaganza starts next week. That's really good. So, yeah. So you better study up because it's your next episode. Yeah, I need to get it together. <laughs> um, but we're doing monsters every week. Do you yeah. have that? Can you pull that up in a minute and see what we're yeah, actually doing? Mm-hmm. Did we ever decide? I think we mentioned we mentioned it on the last yeah. episode. We talked so, about it, but I, kn- I know the first one is Mothman and Flatwoods Monster. Yeah. So the monster extravaganza we're doing it a week. Every week we're doing a new episode on a monster. Or two, two monsters. Yeah. So, Do you want me to read that again? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, the first one will be Mothman and Flatwoods Monster. Second week is Sheep Squatch and the Grafton Monster. Third week is Shadow People, Black Eyed Kids, Men in Black, Strange Entities, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Fourth week is Not Deer and Wendigos, with possibly a Friday the 13th special thrown in, a mi- maybe a mini episode for Friday the 13th. Yeah, I think we had not doing like a Friday the 13th or like a Halloween special or yeah, something. That's, yeah, so. that's still a little up in the air, but we're definitely doing those main four that I read, one each week. Yeah. I think it'd probably be good just to do like a little mini thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, today we're doing like the most famous monsters in every state. Yep. So speaking of Halloween, by the way, our, remember last time, the last couple of episodes, we've had an Amazon link for Back to School? Yep. We've got an Amazon link for Halloween. Yay! So, uh, this time, I got us a link for all kinds of Halloween-themed items. So, if Love you go to Amazon, I'm going to put the I'm gonna put the link on the description of all the episodes and on our photo dump for our Facebook page and stuff. That's really cool. So, if you click on that link, it'll take you to a page that has all kinds of Halloween decorations, costumes, party supplies, all, like... Everything you can think of, deals on everything. There's like, you can find discounts and you can find sales and stuff that they're doing. Um, candy is on there. So you can buy Halloween candy at, on bulk. And also, one of the things I've found recently is like, there's certain stuff you can get on Amazon food wise that's actually a lot cheaper than going to the stores. So, really? Yeah. So, like the Crystal Light that I drink, mm-hmm. this is like my big confession for the podcast. <laughs> Podcast confession. Strawberry Crystal Light. <laughs> it's way cheaper if you buy it in the big cases on Amazon. So I'll get it yeah. like a case at a time. Also, energy drinks. So the energy drinks that I drink. Didn't you just in my kitchen try to say you didn't drink caffeine? I don't. Whatever. It's good, by the way. <laughs> oh, shout out Moth Boys Red Eyes Brew Coffee. It's anyway, so good. <laughs> so they've got they've got like I said the costumes, makeup, decorations, uh, candy, party supplies, pumpkin carving supplies. Um, they even have stuff for your pets I saw on there. So Aww. that's kind of cute. That's awesome. But anything that you click on that link and buy, um, it goes directly to support our podcast. So um, so it's stuff that you might have to get already for Halloween. And if you have to do that and we can save you a little bit of money, then we try to do that. So thank you in advance to anyone that uses that link. Yeah, thank you. It goes to pay for our next bag of coffee, actually. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're going to need another one soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, the, uh, let's get into the episode. I I think that's it. Yep. We got a lot to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, so these are the most famous cryptid monsters, creatures, paranormal tales, um, all everything like that in every state in the United States, all 50 of them 
ranked by me. Like the catfish episode? <laughs> I even went through the I went through the effort to rank all of these. So Okay, so like West Virginia better be number one. It's we'll get into it. Shane. <laughs> so I, I just want to say really quick the so the info on this for all of these is like very overviewish. Like we're not right, going yeah. into a major amount of research and details and finding all the documents online and stuff. It dives later on. The cryptid wiki was a big uh, source for this. Nice. Regular Wikipedia was a big source for this. <laughs> um, there were there were a few um, like local news stations and a few um, like online article publishings that uh, that I used, and I'll get into like the specifics of those as we get into it. But for the most part, it's like these are like overviews from like the very the cliff notes of all of these because some of these you can go into like we i mean we could do two hour episodes on a lot of these right so maybe someday any way these are ranked by me i oh also the video so this so this comes from a video that the the idea for this episode really there's a video that you should watch that pretty much covers like the, I think the same map because he talks about a lot of the same monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy is called uh, Psychopoly or Psychopoly. I don't know. Um, but uh, he did this video. It's a little bit over an hour long, like an hour and a half or something. And uh, so my girlfriend's daughter was like, you, you have to watch this video and I've already seen it. <laughs> And so she made me watch it again. And she's like, you got to yeah. watch. Listen, look at this part. You're the best. And she's like, you should do an episode on this. So this episode is half dedicated to her, I guess. She has good ideas. She does. And she also, she wrote us that list of Yeah, hotels. that was so, so cute. As soon as we're done with the, um, extravaganza. The, uh, the extravaganza, we're jumping into ghosts, I guess. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do ghost episodes for like the month of. November. Yeah. The most haunted month. November? Yeah, you've never heard of that? No. It's not true. So, <laughs> anyway. Uh, I, I have compiled these into seven main categories. Okay. So, th- this is extremely disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got uh, Bigfoots slash feet. I don't know what you would call a plural Bigfoot. <laughs> so, because I know Sasquatch is not Sasquatches. It's Sasquatch plural. But I don't know if it's Bigfoots or feet. When you said the category was Bigfoot slash feet, for some <laughs> reason, I thought you meant like feet as a separate cryptid. Like there were scary feet that you were going to talk about in conjunction with Bigfoot. There probably are some scary feet out there, honestly. Um, yeah, no, so was in my head. <laughs> I've got big feet, Bigfoots, mm-hmm. Sasquatch monsters. Right. Um, and then we've got sea monsters. We've got dogs and werewolves. We've got uh, flying things. There's other animals that didn't really fit super neat into some other stuff. So they're just the other animals that exist. And also they're more so like uh, just your standard variety stuff. Not like supernatural in certain kinds of ways. And then we've got paranormal stuff and oddities. And the oddities are kind of like sort of oddball things that didn't really... They don't go into a category by themselves, and so they just have to, like, they're out there. Have you ever been to Ripley's Believe It or Not with all the oddities? Yes. That that place has not aged well. Has it not? No. I went. Oh, no. We went up for my bachelorette party in Tennessee. We went to visit that one there, and it 
this has not held up. Has it not? No. What? So like, a lot of it in there is or? in like a lot of it is in really poor taste. Like it's a very very nineties early two thousands humor all throughout of it. Okay. It's just like you see some of that stuff and you're like, oh, that should not be in here. That should not be here. They're like, here's an Audi. It's like, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> it's just, we can just move on from that. Okay. I'll just leave it at that place has not aged well. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say something. It's like, it's like 10 years from now. It's like, hey, they were making fun of Ripley's Baby or not. <laughs> and now both of these people are canceled. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm, so we're getting into it. Number, number okay. one, we're talking about big feet. There are, um, there's seven of these. Actually, I don't have all of these numbered, so don't don't keep track. But okay, there's there's seven of these big feet in America. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is Missouri, um, and that's Momo the monster. Momo the monster is also known as Mizo- the Missouri monster, uh, and it's a purported ape-like creature similar to descriptions of Bigfoot that was allegedly sighted by numerous people in a place called Louisiana, Missouri, in 1971 and 72. Unlike some other areas with similar reports of cryptids, such as the Fook monster in Fook, Arizona, or the Mothman in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, Momo did not become a major tourist or economic folklore attraction. Alleged witnesses describe the creature as a large bipedal humanoid with a pumpkin-sized head about seven foot tall, covered in dark hair that emits a putrid odor. The most well-known alleged sighting occurred on July 7th, 1972, when two young boys were playing in the backyard of the rural outskirts of outskirts of Louisiana, Missouri. Their older sister, Doris, was in the kitchen when she heard the brothers screaming. When she looked out of the window, she observed a massive, dark-haired man-looking, man-like creature holding what appeared to be a deceased dog. She described it having a pumpkin-shaped head and large, glowing orange eyes. Many alleged sightings occurred that year. Most notably was a local fire department chief and a member of the city council, Richard Allen Murray, who reported driving along a creek bed when he saw massive upright creature in his vehicle's headlights. As a result of these reported encounters, a 20-person posse was formed to hunt the creature, but nothing was ever found. That's not good. That, this one gets seventh place out of the seven big feet monsters. Mm-hmm. It's... They said it doesn't. It didn't get its own attraction, so it doesn't really have the star power that we're looking for. Right. We're really looking for or fame. And yeah, we're looking for like an influencer. Have you seen that sound going on around on Instagram? It's like more energy, more energy. No. <laughs> more passion. Next <laughs> we is the Arkansas Fook monster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Did I say Arizona earlier when I was talking about the Fook monster and Fook, Fook, Arizona? I meant Arkansas. I don't remember. (laughs) Arizona is a different monster. This is going to, my poor ability to read. Off to a great start. Is going to be the detriment of this entire podcast. (laughs) Because not only, like, not only can I not focus very well, (laughs) I'm not a very good reader. So... (laughs) Anyway, uh, number two on the big feats, big foots, Sasquatches, Sasquatch, Fook Monster in Fook, <laughs> Arkansas. 
In Arkansas folklore, the Fook Monster, also known as the Boggy Creek Monster and the Swamp Stalker, is purported to be an ape-like creature similar to a description of Bigfoot that was allegedly sighted in the rural town of Fook, Arkansas during the early 1970s. The creature was alleged to have, a, have attacked a local family, and it has since become part of Arkansas folklore. It has also influenced local culture in Fook, with some businesses capitalizing on the local lore. Various reports between 1971 and 74 describe it as a large bipedal creature covered in long dark hair. It was estimated to be about 7 feet tall, with a weight of about 250 to 300 pounds. And later reports claimed that it was far larger, one witness describing it as 10 feet tall with an estimated weight of 800 pounds. Reports also describe it as having a terrible odor, over the odor being described as a combination of a skunk, a wet dog, um, and having bright red eyes about the size of silver dollars. The Fook monster first made local headlines in 1971 was when it was reported to have attacked the home of Bobby and Elizabeth Ford on May 2nd, 1971. According to Elizabeth Ford, the creature, which she initially thought was a bear, reached through a screen window that night while she was sleeping on the couch. It was chased away by her husband and his brother, Don. During the alleged encounter, the Fords fired several gunshots at the creature and believed that they had hit it, though no traces of blood were found. An extensive search of the area failed to locate the creature, but a three-toed footprints were found close to the house, as well as scratch marks on the porch and damage to a window and the house's siding. According to the Fords, they had heard something moving around outside late at night several nights prior, but having lived in the house for less than a week, had never encountered the creature before. The creature was allegedly sighted again May 23, 1971, when three people, D.C. Woods Jr., Wilma Woods and Miss R.H. Sedgas reported seeing an ape-like creature crossing U.S. Highway 71. More sightings reports were made over the following months by local residents and tourists who found additional footprints. The best-known footprints were found in a soybean field belonging to local filling station owner Scott Keith. They were scrutinized by the game warden Carl Galeon, who was unable to confirm their authenticity. Like the Ford's footprints, they appeared to indicate that the creature had only three toes. The incident began to attract substantial interest after news spread about the Ford sighting. The Little Rock, Arkansas radio station, KAAY, posted a $1,090 bounty on the creature. Several attempts were made to track the creature with dogs, but they were unable to follow its scent. And when hunters began to take interest in the Fook monster... Miller County Sheriff Leslie Greer was forced to put a temporary no-guns policy in place in order to preserve public safety. Oh in 1971, God. three people were fined $59 for filing fraudulent monster reports. And then there was a movie about this a couple of years later. Mm -hmm. The no-guns so. policy reminds me of one of the Halloween movies. I don't remember which one, but like the townspeople mm -hmm. are trying to find Michael Myers and they are accidentally killing each other instead. Yeah. The Mob justice, I guess. Well, it's like those, there's been stories before. We've mentioned it on the on the podcast. I think the mass hysteria episode where oh, there's yeah, like a yeah. ghost where mm -hmm. people go out and they, you know, try to hunt something down and they end up shooting somebody on accident because, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, number, the next one. <laughs> In Alabama, they've got a, a monster called the White Thang. P-H-A-N-G. Hey, incredible. Yep. 
I'm wondering if that spelling could just comes from an Alabama accent. Yeah. Like they were telling it to like a northern reporter and that's how they heard it. Yeah. So they spelled it that way. That's funny. So from this is this comes from um it's an Alabama local news uh WBRC and uh, their article writes Deep in the North Alabama woods lurks a creature that many people claim to have seen. The legend of the Alabama white thang has been a staple of the state's culture since the early 1900s. Most sightings of the Alabama white thang occur in a triangle between Morgan, Etowah, and Jefferson counties. People have reported sightings in Walnut Grove, Moody's Chapel, Happy Hollow, and Wheeler Wildlife Refuge, just to name a few. The descriptions that witnesses gave very wildly. Several accounts describe the Alabama white thing as being seven to eight feet tall, covered in thick white hair. Other descriptions of the famous creature paint a picture that sounds more like a white lion. Among some, among some of the more strange descriptions reported, one stands out as the weirdest, a tall white creature standing roughly seven feet tall and resembling that of a kangaroo with the head of a cat. Despite being gigantic in stature, it's allegedly known for its ability to move extremely quickly. Some have reported that even though it stands on two legs, it runs on all fours. Many people claim that the creature sounds like a woman screaming. Others report that a foul odor, like that of dead animals, fills the air when the creature is around. Whatever it is, the Alabama white thing has certainly caught the attention of many Alabama residents. So, very cool. Weird. Next up, <laughs> I, I'm i going to lose my mind by the end of this. We're only on number four. In Arizona, they've got the Mogollon Monster, uh, also known as the Arizona Bigfoot. It's an ape-like creature similar to descriptions of Bigfoot. Go figure. <laughs> All of them are. Reported to dwell in central, eastern, central and eastern Arizona along the Mogollon Rim. Hey. Take a breath. No. It's not a race. Mogollon <laughs> monster. We're trying to beat two hours here. <laughs> it's commonly described as a large bipedal creature over seven feet tall with large red eyes. Its body is said to be covered with long black or reddish brown hair with the exclusion of the chest, face, hands, and feet. Reports claim it has a strong pungent odor described as that of a dead fish, a skunk with bad body odor, decaying peat moss, and the musk of a snapping turtle. Anecdotal reports indicate that the creature is allegedly nocturnal, omnivorous, territorial, and sometimes violent. It is generally reported to walk with wide, inhuman strides, leaving behind footprints measuring 22 inches. Mimic birds, coyotes, and other wildlife emit unusual whistle sounds, explore campsites after dark, build nests out of pine needles, twigs, and leaves, and hurl stones from other locations that are hidden from view. The creature has also been said to decapitate deer and other wildlife prior to consumption. In numerous reports, the monster has been said to emit a blood-curdling scream described as sounding like a woman in great distress. Accounts of the creature describe an eerie silence prior to the encounter and appreciable stillness in the woods that commonly surrounds predatory animals. The oldest known reported sighting was in 1903, edition of the Arizona Republican in which I.W. Stevens described a creature seen near the Grand Canyon as having long white hair and a matted beard that reached to his knees. It wore no clothing and upon his talon-like fingers were claws at least two inches long 
Upon further inspection, he noted a coat of gray hair nearly covered his body with, um, with here and there a spot of dirty skin showing. He later stated that after he discovered the creature drinking the blood of two cougars, it threatened him with a club and screamed the wildest, most unearthly scream. So that one's kind of weird because it's the Arizona Bigfoot, and they say it's, it's, it looks exactly like other Bigfoot with yeah. dark hair covering its body. And the earliest sighting that they say is this guy saying that he sees something with white hair covering its body, and it threatened him with a club. And it screamed, which makes me think that it's just like a like a grandpa caveman, <laughs> like stuck out there somewhere. Like, mm. reminds me of what I hope that I look like in <laughs> seventy years. That's funny. In Washington State, there is, um, there's also a Bigfoot, and this is the classic Bigfoot. Bigfoot we all know and love. Yep, same guy. <laughs> the one and only. Um, that and it's the most popular one, which we'll get into why that's kind of weird. But um, Bigfoot, also commonly referred to as Sasquatch, is a large, hairy, human-like mythical creature purported to inhabit forests in North America, particularly in the Pacific Northwest. Hence, most sightings of Bigfoot being reported in Washington State. Enthusiasts of the subject have offered various forms of dubious evidence to prove Bigfoot's existence, including anecdotal claims of sightings, as well as alleged photographs, video and audio recordings, hair samples, and casts of large footprints. Most of this evidence has, uh, has since been identified as hoaxes or misidentification. The majority of scientists do not find any of the remaining evidence compelling and instead generally consider it to be the result of a combination of folklore, misidentification, and hoax, rather than any living animals. Many of the indigenous cultures across North America, uh, across the North American continent, include tales of mysterious hair-covered creatures living in forests. And according to anthropologist David Daigling, these legends existed long before contemporary reports of the creature described as Bigfoot. These stories differ in their details regionally and between families in the same community, and are particularly prevalent in the Pacific Northwest. The most well-known video of an alleged Bigfoot, the Patterson-Gimlin film, was recorded on October 20th, 1967, by Roger Patterson and Robert Bob Gimlin in an area called Bluff Creek in Northern California. The 59-and-a-half-second-long video has become an iconic piece of Bigfoot lore and continues to be a highly scrutinized, analyzed, and debated subject. So here's two things that I want to that I want to say. Um, the first thing, this Patterson Gimlin film, I have seen people talking about how it's a hoax. I've seen people talking about, um, you know, it's not. And these two guys have like stayed to their story the entire time. I haven't dug into it yet. Mm-hmm. Eventually, we're going to obviously. But <laughs> um, I, here's the one thing I will say: I saw an Instagram. And this is like a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. There was somebody that took the Patterson Gimlin film and stabilized it, and it looks exactly like a guy in a suit. Like no, it looks exactly sad. So, and people have like stabilized it before on TV, but they're like, "Yeah, it doesn't look no." I want it, that to be real. <laughs> if you if you stabilize it like really well, it just looks like a guy. No, don't tell me that. I like to like, believe there's a real Bigfoot. 
or was a real Bigfoot. So, but we'll we'll dig into it later. Um, obviously, we're going to eventually do a full episode on Bigfoots. Yeah. Like, we're going to do a deep dive eventually. Um, so, I'm not going to go into a ton of major detail on this particular thing or any, really any of these. Yeah. Um, but it gets third place because it's it's a classic, but it's also just kind of basic to be like the standard Bigfoot. Yeah. Also, it's weird that, so Washington has, it's the most famous in Washington. Um, it's has the most sightings in Washington, and it's known to be in the Pacific Northwest, but it's not the most famous in Oregon. It's not the most famous in California, where the most famous footage was recorded at. So, Yeah, that's a good point. What the heck? Anyway, second place in my ranking for Big Feet. The Florida Skunk Ape. Have you ever heard of this? Uh, I don't think so. This is one of my favorites. Um, the Skunk Ape is a large, hairy, human-like, mythical creature purported to inhabit the forest swamps and uh, forest and swamps in the southeastern United States, most notably in Florida. It is often compared to, synonymous with, or called the cousin of Bigfoot, a prominent subject within North American popular culture. Many dubious articles have been presented in an attempt to prove the skunk ape's existence, including anecdotal sightings, disputed photographs, audio and video recordings, and casts of large footprints. The majority of mainstream scientists have historically discounted the existence of the skunk ape, considering it to be the result of a combination of folklore, misidentification, and hoax, rather than a living animal, just like all the other big feet, big foots, Sasquatches. Skunk ape is commonly described as a bipedal, Human or ape-like creature approximately seven feet tall and covered in mottled reddish-brown hair. Skunk ape is often reported to be smaller in stature compared to traditional descriptions of Bigfoot because the smaller range kind of goes down to like five feet. It's named for the foul odor, often described as being similar to a skunk. That's gross. You're gross. (laughs) Contemporary descriptions of the skunk ape in Florida, Georgia, and Alabama folklore have occurred since European settlers first occupied the region. In 1818, local newspapers reported a story from what is now Apalachicola, Florida, that spoke of a man-sized monkey raiding food stores and stalking fishermen along the shore. Cryptozoologists have made unsubstantiated claims that Seminole and Macaulay Mikosaki culture, that's a, a Native American tribe, I believe, that I totally butchered the pronunciation on. As we do with every includes, word we try to say. <laughs> includes stories of foul-smelling, physically powerful, and secretive creatures called the Esti Kapkaki, a name which roughly translates to furry tall man or hairy giant. Hmm. So, Skunk Cave is one of my favorites because it's... I feel like in the southeastern United States, they have a lot more swamp and wilderness that's not really habitable. Yeah, and a lot that's of true. like most people wouldn't go into. So I think it's more likely that there could be something we don't necessarily know about there yeah. versus kind of like the mountains here. Anywhere else, yeah. And there's the places that are more like hidden away. Yeah, and there there is a lot of. Um, 
untouched wilderness in a lot of places. I think more more than what a lot of people would think. Yeah, for sure. Not only just here in the mountains or like in the swamps, but like everywhere. There's yeah. places that people have not touched. I mean, like out west, there's quite a bit of land that is not very densely populated. Yeah, yeah, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, my first place pick for big feet. Number one, Bigfoot. Would you like to guess the state? Um, South Dakota. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> this is the Takuhi. Mm. I'm excited. <laughs> the name Takuhi comes from the Lakota language and means big man. The Lakota people are one of the Native American tribes that inhabit South Dakota and have a rich culture and history. According to some accounts, Takuhi is a guardian spirit of the land that protects it from invaders and intruders. Other stories say that the Takuhi is a malevolent creature that preys on humans and animals alike. The first modern sightings of Takuhi occurred in the 1970s when a film crew was scouting locations for a zombie movie near Sika Hollow. They stumbled upon a large footprint that they thought belonged to Takuhi. They interviewed some locals who claimed to have seen or heard the creature. One of them was Lamar Bear Ribs, who said he encountered Takuhi one night while walking home. He said the creature was a big hairy man who gave him a seizure. He was taken to a health center by two women who also saw Takuhi in their car headlights. The sightings continued throughout September 1977 and attracted media attention and curious visitors. Some people reported finding mutilated cattle and wild animals with their sexual organs removed and blood drained. They blamed Takuhi for these killings, although there was no conclusive evidence. Some also speculated that UFOs were involved, as South Dakota had its share of flying saucers. Um, The creature was dubbed the McLaughlin Monster by the press, and named after the nearby town that uh, most of the sightings occurred. The sightings died down after September 1977, but Takuhi did not disappear completely. He has been seen sporadically over the years by various witnesses, including hunters, campers, and farmers. He has also been featured in some movies and books, such as Takuhi in 2017, a horror film directed by George Dimmick, and Werewolves 2019, a graphic novel by New Paradigm Studios. Uh, some people believe that Takuhi is still out there waiting for his next victim or his next encounter. The appearance. Gotta say it. The exact same. Ape-like. Yeah. <laughs> Takuhi is often described as being similar to a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, but with some distinctive features. Mm. Tall and hairy. It has a large head with a flat face, small ears, and prominent brow ridge. It has glowing red or yellow eyes that can be seen at night. It has long arms that reach below its knees and large hands with sharp claws. It also has short legs and big feet with five toes each. Also, sometimes described as a gorilla, while other claims claim it sports a coat and a top hat. No. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that. Takuhi is usually seen in rural areas. Near forest fields or hills, is most mostly nocturnal and avoids human contact, is believed to be omnivorous, feeding on plants, fruits, nuts, berries, as well as meat from deer, cattle, sheep, horses, dogs, cats, and even humans. It's known to mutilate its prey by removing their sexual organs and draining their blood. 
Some people think that this is part of a ritual or a way of marking its territory. Takuhi is also said to be very intelligent and curious. It can mimic human sounds and voices such as whistling, laughing, crying, or calling names. It can also use tools and objects that it finds in its environment, such as rocks, sticks, or metal pieces. It can communicate with other members of its kind using grunts, howls, roars, or screams. It can also sense the presence of humans and animals by their smell or sound. So they've got some uh, possible explanations here. Um, There's many theories and hypotheses that try to explain the existence and nature of Takuhi. Uh, and this kind of goes as like an umbrella for all of the Bigfoot sightings, honestly. Um, Takuhi is, uh, or could be, a real animal that belongs to an unknown species of primate that has evolved in isolation in North America. It could be related to the Gigantopithecus, an extinct genus of ape that lived in Asia until about 100,000 years ago and was the largest primate ever known. Takuhi is a hybrid creature that resulted from the interbreeding of humans and other primates or animals. It could be a byproduct of genetic engineering or experimentation gone wrong. Uh, could be a supernatural being that has paranormal abilities and origins. Could be a shapeshifter that can change its form at will or an alien that came from another planet or dimension. And the most common explanation for Takuhi or Big Feet is just a hoax. Um... Or could be a misidentification. Could just be something natural that uh, people don't really know what it is or can't really see it because it's nighttime and all this stuff. My brain got a little bit stuck on Taco. He wearing a top hat and a coat. And yeah. what, like, where would he get one? Or the, she, he or she, where um, would he get one? From the Bigfoot store. That's so funny. Uh, could be wearing a costume or using props to scare people or create publicity. Could also be an animal, such as a bear or gorilla, that was mistaken for something else. And this gets first place because of the fashion sense. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> All right. It deserves first place. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's probably like a very little known uh, description of the Takuhi. Yeah. But it's my favorite. <laughs> but the canon for this podcast, it wears a top cat. And a, and a coat. Oh, absolutely. There's no alternative. It's definitely dressed up nice. Yeah. Like, I need someone could, to draw that. He could get into like a, a fancy restaurant where they're like, sir, you have to wear a jacket to get in here. And he's like, yeah, too late. <laughs> I've got it. We're going to do sea monsters next. Okay, cool. Next category. I don't really know a lot of sea monsters. I could probably name a few. I don't know. How many are on your list? 11. <laughs> Good. There's a lot of sea monsters in okay. the United States. A lot more than people probably know. A lot more than I thought of. Yeah, I mean, I could probably only think of like three or four, probably maybe think five. Is, yeah. Cool. Um, learned, some, learned some new ones today. The last place goes to the Delaware Merman. <laughs> um, the, it's called the Zwinendale Merman. Uh, the Zwinendale Museum is actually modeled after a 17th century Netherlands town hall and offers a showcase for Lou's area history. But its most popular exhibits has nothing to do with Lou's Revolutionary War or maritime heritage. It's a monstrosity named the Fiji Merman. Lounging 
on a royal blue velvet cushion, safely separated from the non-monster world in a glass box within a glass box. The mummified footlong creature was given to prominent Lou's family by an old sea captain after nearly a century of foster care. The family loaned it to Swanendale Museum in 1941. When the family la- when the last family member died in 1985, the citizens of Lou's banded together and bought the merman for $250. No one wanted him to go, said museum director Andrea Anderson. She added that the merman is still much loved by the town and that local kids call him monkeyfish. Swinendale Mermaid bears little resemblance to the classic image of these aquatic beings as attractive women with fishtails, a wide toothy mouth, and large ridged eye sockets dominate its simian face. Its hands are clawed like a reptile's, its torso covered in bony ridges, its skin and scales are ashy gray-black. On top of all that, the creature is small, no more than a foot or so in length. It bears a much closer resemblance to its cousin, the Fiji mermaid, made famous by P.T. Barnum. Both creatures are, of course, clever taxidermy specimens akin to jackalopes, Ginny Hanivers, or fur-bearing trouts. They are also part of a larger tradition of taxidermied monsters that have their roots in 18th century Japan. This gets last place because it's so freaking stupid. Yeah, for sure. I like to believe in a lot of cryptids, but I'm not convinced about mermaids or mermen. Like, I know logically there's a ton of the ocean that hasn't been discovered yet. But I feel like if there were mer people, that's one of the things we would have discovered. Um, and I don't think they kind of like the, yes. what you just said in your story. I don't think they'd be like Ariel, where it's half of half of a person like us and half of a fish. I think they would be a lot more Fishy. fish, yeah, than you. Yeah, I. So we might want to do an episode on mermaids because there are some good stories. From yeah, there are. I'm just not like convinced about the mermaids. Travel. I'm more just, convinced on Bigfoot than I this, am mermaids. This particular one is just dumb. Like, yeah, I'd agree with that. Like, this whole town has like based its personality on a like a stupid taxidermy fake. I mean, people probably say the same thing about us and our like. No, Moth they don't. Man Mothman stuff, is cool. Mothman is cool. Next I up, he'd be our friend. Nevada has Tahoe Tessie and Lake Tahoe. Um, in Lake Tahoe folklore, Tahoe Tessie is a creature which resides in North America's largest alpine lake, Lake Tahoe. Located in Nevada and California, it is said to live in an underwater tunnel that, uh, that is beneath Cave Rock. Founder of the University of California, Davis's uh, Tahoe Research Group, Charles R. Goldman, attributes claim sightings to pareidolia, and the mistaken identification of a large breed of fish introduced to Lake Tahoe during trout mackinaw plantings. Sorry, trout and mackinaw plantings. The talk, excuse me, the talk of Tessie is similar to the Loch Ness Monster, Nessie. Tahoe Tessie is a popular logo for many Tahoe-based companies, with a cartoon version being used in many children's picture books, um, popular character featured in local newspapers, uh, there used to be many local museums um, and a hotline, but both of those have closed since. Uh, reported sightings continue in modern times. So that's kind of cute that it's like a symbol in their town. 
Yeah. That's fun. You know, they got a little lake monster to talk about. It's kind of cool. I like it. Um, In Oklahoma, they've got the Oklahoma octopus. Nice. Uh, The Oklahoma octopus is a cryptid generally said to inhabit some freshwater man-made lakes of Oklahoma, including Lake Thunderbird, Ulaga Lake, and Lake Tinkiller, where it attacks and kills unsuspecting swimmers. There is no existing footage of it. Although no physical evidence exists in the case of the Oklahoma octopus, many port to the high mortality rate and a large number of unexplained drownings in the Oklahoma lakes as a clear sign of its presence. There have also been numerous reported sightings. The Oklahoma octopus is most likely a cephalopod, more specifically an octopus according to the description of the creature. This would make the Oklahoma octopus the only freshwater-dwelling cephalopod species. This would not make this animal entirely unique, as numerous members of the typically marine requiem sharks live in freshwater environments exclusively, including the Ganges River shark. Some skeptics doubt the existence of such an oddity. However, uh, octopi have been recorded, at least for brief periods of time, living in freshwater environments. One such case involves common octopus being caught at Lake Conway in Faulkner County, Arkansas. The animal was most likely released as a pet that survived long enough to cling onto the gates of the lake's dam. According to rumor, this freshwater cephalopod is about the size of a horse and resembles an octopus with long tentacles and leathery reddish-brown skin. Due to the lakes being man-made, the drownings are most likely the result of people getting drunk and not paying attention while swimming. Also, the drowned victims don't have any uh, sucker lacerations. So, like, from the... They don't have any octopus hickeys. Oh, my gosh. So, couldn't be an octopus that killed them. Yeah. So, also, octopus... They're kind of scary, like, how smart they are. They're so smart. Also, like, if you were being eaten by an octopus or, like, a giant octopus, they get you in with their tentacles, and their mouth is in the middle. Yeah. It's like a beak. And so you would just be being, like, eaten alive, small bite by small bite. Did you ever watch The Boys on Amazon? No. Next up. Wait. (laughs) Go ahead. There's an episode where one of them has to eat an octopus. But his, like, superhero power is the ability to, like, communicate with animals. So, like, he is hearing the octopus while he has to eat him. And it's horrible. And that made me quit watching the show. I think that was the last episode I watched. I was like, this is awful. And I never finished it. (laughs) Terrible. I mean, the show was insane up to that point. But that's what just did it for me. I was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. All right. Um, In Maryland, um, they've got Chessie. And Chessie is a sea monster said to live in the midst of Chesapeake Bay. Claims of sightings appear in local media and regionally themed books from 1936 onward. Over time, the figure developed into an environmental icon associated with the ecological health of Chesapeake Bay and continues to play a role in modern popular culture. The earliest reported sightings of a Chessie-like creature may have been from a military helicopter flying over Bush River in 1936. Something reptilian and unknown in the water was observed by the helicopter's crew. However, a Chessie sighting from a helicopter in 1936 seems as unlikely as the earliest Sikorsky helicopter flight was near Stratford, Connecticut in 1939. Hmm. 
According to Matt Lake in Weird Maryland, the two perch fishermen, Francis Clarman and Edward J. Ward, spotted something in the water near Baltimore in 1943. And uh, says that uh, this thing was about 75 yards away at right angles from our boat. At first, it looked like something floating on the water. And it was black, and part of it was out of the water, seemed about 12 feet long. It, uh, it has a head about as big as a football and shaped somewhat like a horse's head. It turns its head around several times, almost all the way around. Oh, that's never kind of sp- good. That's always scary. Most recent reported sighting occurred on April 5th, 2014 at 1.40 a.m. while parked on the side of Arundel Beach Road ne- uh, directly next to Magothy River when the tide was really high. A Maryland resident and his friend reportedly saw Chessie less than five feet away from his car. He described it as a snake-like creature 25 to 30 feet in length without fins topped with a slender football-shaped head and black in color. Although he could not distinguish between having scales or leathery skin, the creature did not rise out of the water, but the head and tail end uh, just breached the surface of the water as it moved with serpentine motion. The witness first questioned himself if it was two separate animals traveling one behind the other, but soon realized that it was one creature because of the pattern it was creating on the water's surface. There are no known snakes in Maryland that get anywhere close to 25 feet long, although no photo was obtained because the witness say they were so busy trying to figure out what they were looking at that he did not think to take a picture with his cell phone. The witness was so moved he called the Maryland Department of Natural Resources soon after the sighting. So, next up, we've got New York, uh, and they have a sea monster called Champ or Champy. Now, I've heard of this one. Champy is the name of a lake monster said to live in Lake Champlain, uh, a 125-mile-long body of freshwater shared by New York and Vermont, with a portion extending into Quebec, Canada. And, by the way, um, what's that trend where you, like, say goodnight to people? Say we're saying good night to everyone except for people who pronounce Quebec as Quebec. <laughs> um, the legend of the monster considered a draw is considered a draw for tourism in the Burlington, Vermont, and Plattsburgh, New York areas. Over the years, there have been over 300 reporting reported sightings of Champ. The origin uh, of the story is related to Iroquois legends of giant snakes, which the Mohawk named. <laughs> Oh, geez. Oh, Oniyar Ekawa. <laughs> Not a chance you said that right. Nope. French cartographer Samuel, Samuel de Champlain, the founder of Quebec and the lake's namesake, is often claimed to be the first European to have sighted Champ in 1609. The earliest source for his claim is the summer of 1970s issue of the magazine Vermont Life. The magazine quoted Champlain as having documented a 20-foot serpent thick as a barrel and head like a horse. There is no evidence that Champlain ever said this, although he did document a large fish. Um, and then it says, uh, there's, uh, this, so this is like a quote from him, right? Uh, there's also a great abundance of fish of many varieties, among others one called the savages of the county of Shaw. Chow Faru, 
which varies in length, the largest being, as the people told me, eight or ten feet long. I saw some five feet long, which were as large as my thigh, the head being as big as my two fists, with a snout two feet and a half long, and double row of very sharp, dangerous teeth. Its body is, in shape, very much like that of a pike, but it's armed with scales so strong and poignard, or so strong and a poignard could not pierce them. Its color is silver gray. Um, so that's the end of his quote. Uh, legends and more legends from uh, 1873 to 1887 got the interest of P.T. Barnum, once again. What a loser. Um, he's a famous showman, <laughs> offered rewards for anyone who could bring him the monster. The Mansi photograph was taken by Sandra Mansi in 77. Shows a head sticking out of the bay. Arguments say that the bay is 14 feet deep so a giant creature couldn't swim or live there, which I kind of dispute. Um, I, th- I think that, uh, th- so like the bay is 14 feet deep. Mm-hmm. The rest of the lake is, could be a lot deeper. Um, yeah. I didn't look into it, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I dispute I, it, but I have no evidence to back that up. Here's what I'll say, though, is that the the fact that the head was sticking out of the water and it's 14 feet deep, people mm-hmm. say that. Well, it's too shallow. A fish couldn't live there. It's like, nobody said it lived there. They said they took a picture of it there. Right. And I know that there's been, there's plenty of like huge largemouth bass that have been caught in like a foot of water. Yeah. I mean, like even sharks will swim up to close to the shore where it's really shallow. So fish will get decently shallow if they want to, like if they're going for food or whatever it is. So it's just not. It wouldn't be accurate to say that it's impossible for it to live there when it could just be there, like, visiting bait fish or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, whatever. That's a garbage argument. Anyway, in 2022, Lady of the Lake Katie Elizabeth, full-time lake researcher, author, and filmmaker, captured a sonar recording of a creature approximately 30 feet long in 43 foot of water depth around... 10 feet moving at 5 miles an hour. Um, about halfway through the recording, uh, an image of what looks like an appendage appears from the rear portion of the object. It was so compelling, news sources from the UK ran the story and the German National News did a 5-minute segment on it. In 2023, Captain Scott, while running his fishing charter, captured a still image resembling the image uh, that Katie Elizabeth captured earlier, and Captain Scott's image captured the attention of Tokyo News, who sent a crew out to interview both Captain Scott and Katie Elizabeth. So if you have any sightings of Champ, please contact Katie Elizabeth, because she researches that particular lake. I don't know if it's actually that particular lake or just any lakes, but specifically that lake she's fond of, I guess. In Oregon. Colossal Claude. Colossal Claude? That's fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Claude. <laughs> it's a good name, honestly, it is. for a monster. Like, I, I, I like, like it. it. I like it when people give monsters polite-sounding names. Claude. <laughs> yeah. like, like, he would be really nice to just, like, sit down and have a cup of tea with or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it just sounds 
pleasant. Yeah. Like, he probably wears a top hat, too. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Colossal Claude is the name given to a sea monster spotted near the Columbia River in Oregon. Colossal Claude is said to be 15 to 40 feet long with an 8-foot-long neck and has a round, tan body with a snake, horse, or camel-like head in a long, serpentine tail. Colossal Claude was first reported in 1934 by L.A. Larson, first mate of the Columbia River Lightship. He described what he saw as a 40-foot animal with a neck some 8 feet long, a big round body, mean-looking tail, an evil, snaky look to its head. Other crew members on the lightship watched the creature with binoculars. Colossal Claude was seen again in 1937 by the crew of fishing trawler Viv. Charles E. Graham, captain of the Viv, described it as a long, hairy, tan-colored creature with the head of an overgrown horse about 40 feet long with a four-foot waist. A few months later, a couple sighted the creature they described as looking like an aquatic giraffe, a long devil's churn. In 1939, a crew of halibut fishing ship Argo also saw Colossal Claude. It reared up over the water 10 feet away from the hull of the ship. The crew watched it eat fish before they turned away turned away from the creature. It was described as having a camel-like head with a coarse gray fur, and it had glossy eyes with a bent snout. Colossal Claude is thought to have been a jellyfish or well. I don't know where they get that description at all. Like, what the heck? That Neither of those really sound like a 40-foot snake, but anyway. <laughs> no, they sure don't. Another theory is that it's a surviving plesiosaur, which is also pretty unlikely. No, but it'd be cool. That coffee's really good. Yeah, I agree. I want to like slurp it in the mic, but I won't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Just to save everybody. I'm sure I'm already making enough mouth sounds. <laughs> Don't say that. Um, <laughs> moist. Um, Horrible. Just lost <laughs> half our listeners with that one. Way to go. In Utah, they've got something called the Bear Lake Monster. Um, and it is a, be- a being appearing in folklore near Bear Lake on the Utah-Idaho border. The myth originally grew from articles written in the 19th century by Joseph C. Rich, an LDS settler in the area, reporting to report secondhand accounts of sightings of the creature. However, he later recanted the stories. Lame. Yeah, lame. Stick to your, stick to your guns, mm-hmm. L- uh, Joseph C. Joseph C. Joe C. Joey C. J. Rich. Move on. <laughs> in recent years, the monster is considered to be a tourist attraction. The last reported sighting of the monster was in 2002. Not all descriptions of the Bear Lake monster agree, but one team of folklorists stated that it is reported to resemble a serpent, but with legs about 18 inches long, on which it marauds along the shoreline. One article reported that the creature had a large undulating body with about 30 feet of exposed surface of a light cream color moving swiftly through the water at a distance of three miles from the point of observation. Others reported seeing a monster-like creature which went faster than a locomotive and had a head variously described as being similar to that of a cow, otter, crocodile, or walrus, minus the tusks. Its size was reported to be at least 50 feet long, and certainly not less than 40. Some have reported spikes along its spine, starting from the bottom of the head all the way 
along the body. Some sightings even spoke of a second member of the species and smaller monsters as well. In 1868, uh, the Deseret News wrote an article announcing that the Indians have a tradition concerning a strange serpent-like creature inhabiting the waters of Bear Lake. Now, it seems this water devil, as the Indians call it, has a maiden appearance. A number of our white settlers declare they have seen it with their own eyes. This Bear Lake monster, they now call it, is causing a great deal of excitement up here. And then the author, Joseph C. Rich, went on to relate several sightings of the creature in recent times. The article created a stir in Salt Lake City, and within a month, a news staff member quizzed many Bear Lake people and found hardly a person who doubted the stories. So, in Idaho, they've got a monster called Charlie. It's kind of a worse name than Claude, honestly. Yeah, Claude is top tier. If we're being honest. Um, In Idaho folklore, Charlie, a.k.a. Slimy Slim, the Twilight Dragon of Payette Lake, which honestly, like, Drop a mixtape right now. Slimy Slim. Slim. That's yeah. so good. Um, so much like the Loch Ness Monster, um, it's believed to uh, live in the alpine waters of Pyatt Lake near McCall, Idaho. The first reference to the sea, uh, the sea serpent may be the belief of Native Americans predating Western settlement of the area that an evil spirit dwelled in the lake. The first documented sighting by Western settlers occurred in 1920 when workers cutting ties at the upper end of the lake thought that they saw a log in the lake. The log began to move. In August 1944, the serpent was reportedly seen by several groups of people who described it as 30 to 35 feet in length with a dinosaur-type head and pronounced jaws, humps like a camel, and shell-like skin. In September 1946... The serpent was reportedly sighted by a group of 20 people. Dr. G.A. Taylor of Nampa, Idaho, explained that it appeared to be tw- uh, sorry, it appeared to be 30 to 40 feet long and seemed to keep diving into the water. It left a wake about like a small motor boat would make. In 1954, <laughs> a boon ate, so, oh my gosh, I'm not good at reading. I need like reading lessons. Can help. Yeah, I know. You got your (laughs) reading specialty. In 1954, A. Boone McCollum. I can't, it's hard to remember, like, when I'm reading names, where I put people's initials. Mm -hmm. Because then I want to read it as, like, in 1954, uh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, that's a name. In 1954, A. Boone McCollum, editor of the Star News, held a contest named... To name the serpent of Pyatt Lake, the winning name, Charlie, was submitted by uh, Le Isle Hennifer Turry of Springfield, Virginia. In her letter to Mr. McCollum, she said, Why don't you call the thing Charlie? You know, Boss you dare Charlie. This was a reference to the popular catchphrase often spoke by Jack Pearl during his old-time radio show. Charlie was reportedly cited dozens of times between 56 and the last documented sighting in 1997. How is Charlie spelled? S-H-A-R-L-I-E. I was just wondering. Why? I hadn't heard of it or seen it anywhere. I was just wondering. Now, if this was a monster made up in somewhere around like the 2018 time frame, mm-hmm. they would have still called it Charlie. 
but they would have spelled it with like E-I-G-H. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's, it's different. No, it's not. <laughs> Shut up. In Nebraska, they've got a monster called the Alkali Lake Monster. And this comes from uh, history.nebraska.gov. So the direct to the source. Lake Walgren, a 50-acre lake located in Sheridan County near Hay Springs, has a storied history of harboring Nebraska's best-known lake monster. The Lake Walgren monster has been variously described as a very large catfish, a large mud puppy, and even as giant horned alligator-like beasts that devour livestock and waterfowl. Its size has varied from the size of a yearling steer to 2 foot broad and 10 to 12 feet long. One report said it spouted water like a well. The first official reports appeared in the Hay Springs News in 1921. An article on September 16th was headlined, If it isn't a whale, it's a whaler of an animal. A subsequent article on October 21st discussed a proposed uh, signing to catch the monster, but game officials did not think they had a, uh, a, a sign large enough. I think that means like a... They're going to like pull a net through or like kind of like sieve the lake. Um, so the undertaking was delayed indefinitely. Um, August 11th, 1922, um, that issue reported the huge water animal again seen on the surface. The Omaha World Herald picked up the story in 1923 when a man named J.A. Johnson claimed he and his friends saw a water monster 40 feet long, dull gray, brown in color, with a horn-like object between its eyes and nostrils. They said it looked similar to an alligator, but was bigger and heavier than an alligator. When the creature noticed the men, it emitted a dreadful roar, thrashed its tail about, and drove under the water. The following World Herald's coverage of the story was picked up by several other newspapers, including the London Times. Quote, by far the most vivid picture of the actions and features of a medieval monster for which three years has been terrifying the natives of the vicinity of Alkali Lake near the small town of Hay Springs, Nebraska, USA, was received by our Omaha, Nebraska's correspondence today, end quote. But how did the London Times hear about the story? And Tell me. <laughs> same way the other newspapers did. A <laughs> uh, story was fed to them by Nebraskan John G. Mayer, whose skill at creating hoaxes and singing songs and playing guitar. This is not the same guy. <laughs> uh, slow burn. <laughs> um, he, he was known for spinning hoaxes and making up stories. Um, and it says, it says actually... Um, John G. Mayer's skill at creating hoaxes was nearly as legendary as the hoaxes themselves. Historian Louise Pound writes about his schemes in a December 1952 Nebraska history article titled The John G. Mayer Hoaxes. Mayer is known for several other hoaxes perpetrated in Nebraska, such as burying a cement casting of a buffalo soldier in an archaeological site near Chadron and proclaiming it as a petrified man. Sinking bags of soda in a hot spring and reporting on the healing properties of the Soda Springs and warning that the British Navy was sailing up the Mississippi and Missouri rivers to punish Irish immigrants who supported the Irish Republic. Regardless of the probable hoax, 
The village of Hay Springs has embraced the monster as a local symbol, selling commemorative shirts and buttons, as well as creating a replica of the monster based on Johnson's original description out of green flotation material. <laughs> Did I swallow directly Yeah, it was mic? right in the mic. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Coffee's good. Shout out Moth Boys. I've already done that. <laughs> All right. Listen. Our second place, our runner-up to first place of the Sea Monsters, is from Georgia. The Altama Ha Ha. One more time. The Altama Ha Ha. Okay, so that second syllable you are repeating. Well, not second syllable, but last, I mean. Two ha ha's. In Georgian folklore, the Altama Ha Ha, or Alti, good name. That's cute. Is a legendary creature alleged to inhabit the myriad small streams and abandoned rice fields near the, near the mouth of the Altama Ha River, after which it is named. In southeastern Georgia. Sightings are particularly reported around Darien and elsewhere in McIntosh County. According to the Brunswick News, the legend has its roots in Muscogee tradition. An alligator gar has been proposed as a possible identity for recent sightings attributed to the creature. And in 2018, composing remains were found on a beach on the Wolf's Wolf ugh, the Wolf Island National Wildlife Refuge, causing speculation that it may be the body of Altamahaha. Performance artist Zardulu Zardulu <laughs> later claimed responsibility for the remains, which were created out of stuffed shark and paper mache. Paleo artist Rick Spears created a sculpture of Altamahaha, which is on display at the Darien McIntosh County Visitor Center in Darien, Georgia. So that's pretty neat. They've got like a little They've kind of embraced it. It's it's weird that, like, uh, so this this by the way this is like the runner up because I couldn't find enough detail on it to actually like give a solid super good description. Right. But the fact that like they they keep seeing it mm-hmm. and it's got like the Muscogee tradition behind it, and this artist like hoaxed everybody. That kind of makes me laugh. Yeah. So. That's funny. Anyway, number one. Number one. Number of one. the sea monsters. In Alaska. Ooh. The Tijaruk. Hmm. In Inuit religion, the Tijaruk is a mythical, large serpent-like creature that is said to inhabit the waters near Key Island, Alaska. It is said to have two-meter head and a tail with a flipper. The local Im- Inuit claimed that it has snatched people off piers without their noticing its presence. It is also called Palarayuk. It is said to be similar to Nitaka or the Okanakanese or Ogopogo uh, and the Haitlik or Nuchanuth. There's a lot of Native American words i got to pronounce in this one. so you. It like, didn't sound that bad. Please bear with me. <laughs> so it's what's... Like, it's one thing to pronounce languages that are, like, I I kind of have heard before. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different thing to try to butcher a complete culture's language that I've never even heard the first word spoken from it. So Maybe look that up next time. No. Research. Ask for some help. No. <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> Based on reported sea serpent sightings and local ethno-knowledge, 
Mackle believed there were two distinct types of unknown marine animal in the Bering Sea, one of which he argued could be a Zuglodon, which supposedly lived 45 to 33 million years ago. Hmm. That's if you're somebody that believes the Earth is more than 7,000 years old. Mm-hmm. I heard that as a conspiracy the other day, and I'm kind of oh my God. still hooked on it. So <laughs> The other long-eared anyway. <laughs> seal analogous, uh, analogous to the leopard seal of the southern hemisphere, one of the few southern pinnipeds, which apparently has no northern counterpart. This northern leopard seal would be larger than the southern, with four limbs, which would have either disappeared or, as in the leopard seal, are kept close to the body and thus rendered invisible. Mackel felt there were not enough details regarding the Tijaruk to assign it to either category, but he strongly erred towards the northern leopard seal. It is known that the leopard seals can be attracted by tapping on the gunwales or thwarts of boats, just like the Tijaruk. Bernard Huvelmans wrote in support of the Zuglodon theory. And this gets first place because, number one, it's a giant sea monster that can snatch you off a pier and no one would ever know that it was there. Yeah, sneaky. You're just gone. Mm-hmm. And also, it's got all the, like, Native American, or, like, I guess, like, the Inuit and the... It's got all of the, like, the Inuit religion behind it. There was actually a graph uh, that I found. It was, a like, a chart that has all of the Inuit and the related tribes around the Inuits that are um they all have like some kind of spirit or god attached to some kind of sea monster like this so it was pretty interesting to read yeah um it's just not really on the scope of this episode so next category dogs and werewolves how many are there in this category i don't know <laughs> i stopped marking the numbers there's not as many I just like to know. Um, so, last place. In North Carolina, the Beast of Bladenboro refers to a creature responsible for a string of deaths amongst uh, Bladenboro, North Carolina's animals in the winter of 1953 to 1954. According to witnesses and trackers, it was likely a wildcat species, but its identity was ultimately not definitively confirmed. According to reports... The animal commonly crushed or decapitated its victims, which were mostly dogs. The first animal deaths were possibly related to the Beast of Bladenboro, um, and they were reported on December 29, 1953. Witnesses described a creature that was sleek, black, about five feet long, which killed a dog in Clarkton, North Carolina, approximately eight miles from Bladenboro. On December 31st, 1953, two dogs belonging to a resident of Bladenboro were found dead with a significant amount of blood near their kennels. The owner reported that the dogs were torn into ribbons and crushed. Two more dogs were found dead on January 3rd, 1954. An autopsy was performed on one of the dogs, and it was reported that there, was, there wasn't more than two or three drops of blood in him. The victim's bottom lip had been broken open and his jawbone Smashed back. Ooh, that's gruesome. Further deaths were reported in subsequent days. On the night of January 5th, 1954, a pet rabbit was found nearly decapitated and still warm. And on January 7th, a dead dog was found in a pasture near the Bladenboro Swamp. 
A goat was also reported to have died with its head flattened. One local described the animal as about four and a half feet long, bushy and resembling either a bear or a panther, while another person described it as small and noted there was a little one just like it running beside it. Another local described hearing a strange noise, like a baby crying. Though he did not see the animal, he estimated it was close to 150 pounds the way it went through the bushes. Another account detailed in a local newspaper contained the following physical description. It was about 20 inches high, had a long tail, about 14 inches. The color of it was dark. It had a face exactly like a cat. Only I ain't never seen a cat that big. It was walking (laughs) around stealthy and sneakily. This gets last place in the dogs and werewolves category because it's not even a dog. Right, it's a weird cat. cat. (laughs) Um, I just, I couldn't put it with the other animals. Yeah. Because I guess it's like some of the description is closer to the 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 werewolves and dogs kind of categories. It's just they say it has a face just like not that. quite. So last place. Fair. So uh in Montana, they've got the Shunka Warakin. And this comes from a uh website called Atlas Obscura. Mm-hmm. And they're quoted uh, in the description of the Shunkawarakeen as something has been preying on domesticated animals across the plains of Montana for centuries. It has been given many names over the years, below most of which burn angry red squiggly lines when typed into Microsoft Word. Shunkawarakeen, <laughs> Ringdicus, Gaiasticatus, but it's also been called the Beast and the Rocky Mountain Hyena. In fact, any name but wolf. Although the creature could easily be called a wolf, perhaps that's because wolves were extinct in the state for about half the 20th century. But that's a blip in the Shunkawara King's reign of terror. Whatever they are, they are known to attack dogs and cows and sheep and anything else served up in a fenced-in platter. If only we had a carcass, we could figure out what this creature was once and for all. Turns out we do. It's on display in a museum in Montana, in 1886, the Madison Valley of Montana, a settler named Israel Ammon Hutchins had a problem. Something was attacking his animals and the animals of other farmers and ranchers in the area. Something dark and canine-like that screamed in the night like nothing he had ever heard. One morning, he awoke to his dogs barking and jumped out of his bed to find the canid chasing his geese. The beast had a dark coat, high shoulders, and a slanted back. Hutchins finally got a shot at it, but missed, killing one of his cows instead. The next time he got it in his sights, though, he missed the cow and killed the cryptid. Hutchins traded the carcass to a businessman, Joseph Sherwood, in exchange for a new cow. Sherwood was also a taxidermist, so he mounted the creature and showcased it in his combo grocery store museum in Henry Lake, Idaho. He dubbed it a ringdicus for reasons unknown. (laughs) So, (laughs) fair enough. What a dumb name. The ringdicus outlasted Sherwood and was on display at least into the 1980s, and then it disappear. Dead cryptids can be as hard to find as live ones. Yeah, I believe it. The only physical evidence of the existence of the stuffed ringdicus was a black-and-white photo of the beast published in 1977 in the autobiography of naturalist Ross Hushins, the grandson of the original monster and cow slayer. In the photo, the creature looks like a wolf, but not quite like a wolf. Something about the shape of its face and the arch of its back is different. The photo was captioned Gaiasticatus, which some has offer, offered it a cheeky name for something made fake. 
to sell tickets. The story of the creature and the frustrating disappearance of its corpse continued to circulate. Meanwhile, Lance Foster, a historic site preservationist, paranormal enthusiast, and member of the Iowa tribe, speculated the beast could be a Shunkawarakin, a canid non-wolf beast from Native American lore that would sneak into camps at night and make off with dogs. The name translates to, quote, carries off dogs, end quote. Oh, to the point. After one particularly fierce battle with Shunkawarakin, in which the tribe was victorious, they took pieces of its hide to place in sacred bundles that they wore during battle to make them as hard to kill as the Shunkawarakin had been. The name took off after it was used by Lauren Coleman in his book Cryptozoology A to Z. The beast is still the most famous attraction in the museum. This was going to be last place if it wasn't for the uh, the cat. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally just a wolf. Uh, it seems like it looks a little different maybe. Yeah. Um I guess the one the redeeming quality of it is that like the um the the Native Americans are saying that it's it's a very it's it's a lot different. So Yeah. I feel like they know what they're talking bit. about. So anyway, in Wisconsin, they've got the Beast of Bray Road. Uh, it's the name given to a wolf-like creature allegedly reported to have been witnessed in or near Elkhorn, Walworth County, Wisconsin. The creature has become part of Wisconsin folklore and has been the subject of multiple books, documentaries, and a 2005 horror film. Named for a rural farm road in which it was first sighted, reports of the creature in 1980s and 1990s prompted a local newspaper, the Walworth County Week, to assign reporter Linda Godfrey to cover the story. Godfrey was initially skeptical, but later became convinced of the sincerity of, of many witnesses. Her series of articles later became a book titled The Beast of Bray Road, Telling Wisconsin's Werewolf. Skeptics maintain the creature is likely the result of misidentification of known animals, most likely gray wolves. The Beast of Bray Road is often described by alleged witnesses as large between six feet and seven feet tall, with a humanoid-style body covered in fur or hair, and the head resembling a wolf and large glowing red or orange eyes. It's purported to have seen to have been seen moving both quadruped and biped, and some reports describe it more closely to resembling a traditional werewolf or Bigfoot. The creature was allegedly first sighted in 1936. In the 1980s, though, several alleged witnesses reported the beast had made contact with their vehicles, leaving a long scratch marks on the doors and trunks of the vehicles. One witness stated she hit something while crossing Bray Road upon exiting her vehicle to determine what she had hit. Supposedly a large wolf-like creature with red eyes traced her back into the car, leaving claw marks in the rear passenger door. Sightings have also been reported during daylight hours, with several witnesses stating they observed an unusually large wolf-like creature running on all fours through the cornfields. One stated the creature was in pursuit of a deer. Animal mutilations have also been reported in the area around Bray Road, with animal remains, including deer and livestock, partially eaten with specific organs removed from the animal carcasses. A number of misidentified animal-based theories have been proposed, including that the creature is simply a gray wolf or a large dog, such as a Great Pyrenees or Newfoundland. While not common in the southern part of the state, wolves are occasionally found in Walworth County and nearby areas. Also, they say it could just be hoaxes, or they said that it's mass hysteria, which we know how that goes. But um, I hate that theory. And it could, so be, lame. could be a black bear with mange. 
So yeah, fair enough. In Michigan, they've got the Dog Man. So Dog Man is the name of a super popular um, children's book series. Remember Captain Underpants? No. Yes, you do. It's the same author, uh, Dave Pilkey. My kids love Dog Man. Different Dog Man though. This book character is about a police officer that got turned into a dog, and they love it. It's like graphic novels, like comic. Keep keep that in mind for a joke I'm going to make after the podcast ends. Oh my god! <laughs> um, in Michigan, uh, the dog man was allegedly witnessed in 1887 in Wexford County, Michigan. Uh, the creature is described as a seven foot tall, blue eyed or amber eyed bipedal canine like animal with the torso of a man and fearsome howl that sounds like a a human scream. According to legends, the Michigan Dogman appears in a 10-year cycle that falls on years ending in seven. Sightings have been reported in several locations throughout Michigan, primarily in northwestern quadrant of the Lower Peninsula. Real quick to interrupt. I think I said my kids a second ago. I definitely meant my students. <laughs> That's teacher dog. I don't have kids. My students love Dogman. <laughs> I don't remember what I said. <laughs> Just to clear that up. <laughs> Hannah's lying. She has 20 kids. <laughs> Of 23 kids, and they're all eight years old. Yep. <laughs> all anyway. There, it's the most, the biggest case of twins. Yeah. What would that even be called? Like, I have no idea. Like quadruplets. You got quintuplets. Octuplets was eight. Yeah. Or, and then probably like non-something. Yeah. Deck. So what's, what's 20? It'd be like, it'd be like <laughs> no triplets. <laughs> yeah. That's what Hannah has. Um. The creature was unknown to most of the world until the very late 20th century. It is said to have been stalking the area around the Manistee River since the days when Ottawa tribes lived there. Authentic sources for sightings made prior to 1987, however, have never been documented before Steve Cook's song, which we'll discuss below. The first alleged encounter of the Michigan Dogman occurred in 1887 in Wexford County when two lumberjacks saw a creature which they described as having a man's body and a dog's head. In 1937, in Paris, Michigan, Paris, Michigan, I don't like it when places name their cities after other places. Like the one before was Louisiana, uh, Missouri. Missouri, yeah. Quit it. (laughs) Like, could you imagine if there was a place in West Virginia called Virginia? And you're like, Virginia, West Virginia. Virginia, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. And then people's heads just explode because yeah. they already don't think that we're a state. So anyway. Yeah. In Paris, Michigan, Robert Fortney was attacked by five wild dogs and said that one of the five walked on two legs. Reports of similar creatures also came from Allegan County in 1950s and in Manistee and Cross Village in 1967. Linda S. Godfrey in her book, The Beast of Bray Road, Compares the Manistee sightings to a similar creature sighted in Wisconsin known as the, um, sorry, the, a similar creature sighted in Wisconsin, but so the, the beast of Bray Road is, they specifically call it because of this particular road that all the most popular sightings have been on. Um, and so the the dog man is like i guess like the exact same but it's in michigan okay also paris 
What? I just, I wanted you to say something about Paris. <laughs> like what? So, no, but so the Beast of Bray Road was, um, remember we talked about like it leaves like. I'm going to Paris. Stuff. Is that what you wanted me to say? Are you going to Paris? Yeah, in April. Okay. So the Beast of Bray Road <laughs> was, it would like leave scratch marks on people's cars and stuff. Um, and so this Linda S. Godfrey wrote the book on the Beast of Bray Road and it draws similarities to the Dogman and. Um, in Michigan. So, anyway, uh, that song that I was talking about earlier that I mentioned, um, the Cook song in 1987, disc jockey Steve Cook at WTCM FM in Traverse City, Michigan, recorded a song titled "The Legend," which he initially played as an April Fool's Day joke. He based the songs on myths and legends around North America and had never heard of an actual Michigan dogman at the time of the recording. He says, I made it up completely from my own imagination as an April Fool's prank on the radio and stumbled my way onto a legend that goes all the way back to Native American times. Huh. What are the odds? Yeah. I think that's uh, pretty interesting. I I mean, I, I'm not sure that he really made it up completely. Right. But Maybe he had read it before and then forgot he read it. It was like still in his subconscious. I've done that before. There's a word for that, isn't there? Yeah, but I don't know what it is. So in Texas, they've got the chupacabra. Ooh, I've um, heard this one. Literally translated as goat sucker. Mm-hmm. From the Spanish, chupa sucks. And cabras, goats. Mm-hmm. Goat sucker. It's a legendary creature in the folklore uh, of parts of the Americas. The name comes from the animal's reported vampirism. Chupacabra is said to attack and drink the blood of livestock, including goats. Physical descriptions of the creature vary. In Puerto Rico and in Hispanic America, it is generally described as a heavy creature, reptilian and alien-like, roughly the size of a small bear, and with a row of spines reaching from the neck to the base of the tail, while in the southwestern United States, it is depicted as more dog-like. Initial sightings accompanying the descriptions first occurred in Puerto Rico in 1995. The creature has since been reported as far north as Maine, and as far south as Chile, and even outside the Americas in countries like Russia and the Philippines. All of the reports are anecdotal and have been disregarded as uncorroborated or lacking evidence. Sightings in northern Mexico and the southern United States have been verified as canids afflicted by mange. I'm going to skip over a lot of the history of this Mm -hmm. uh, for brevity, Um, but there were some livestock killings in Puerto Rico in 1975, and the first ones attributed to the actual chupacabra weren't until the 1990s. Livestock were drained of blood, and my perspective is that they were probably not caused by animals. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I will say though, like in so I thought that this was like a longer-lasting myth mm-hmm. than what it actually is. The earliest sightings were in the 70s. So oh, really. Yeah, and I was thinking this goes way back to, like, Native American times. And there, it's possible that you could find some Native American legends that you could stretch over to this. Yeah. But I don't think there's anything exactly like what this is talking about. So, anyway, um, in Texas specifically, this comes from CBS Austin. Um, they quote, um, You look in Latin America folklore, and it's an idea that's been around for a long time, says Texas A&M wildlife specialist, John Tomasek. 
But until sometime in the early 20th century, you don't have a real concrete image of what this animal, animal was. You have kind of a vague description. It's not actually dissimilar in the, uh, to the vampire in Slavic cultures, where there isn't a concrete description of what it is until Bram Stoker writes his book. And everyone says, ah, oh, that's what it looks like. Which I also didn't know. I thought everyone kind of knew what a vampire was. But I guess until the books and the media came out, yeah, wasn't until everybody kind of had a description to go off of and say, this is what we all want it to be. Yeah, I don't think I ever really thought about that. So, uh, what looks like a terrifying beast of legend is actually a pretty sad sight to see, John said. Most of the time when folks report a chupacabra, it's actually a coyote with a very advanced stage of mange. Mange is a skin disease caused by parasitic mites, uh, which the researchers say impacts an animal's appearance and actions. They've lost almost all their hair except for the little bit between their shoulder blades, which sticks up. Their skin is gray and scaly and looks quite gaunt. I love the word gaunt, by the way. <laughs> so, you know that girl on like TikTok and Instagram that does those videos of like your Appalachian grandpa and I send them to you all the time? Yeah. <laughs> so she... I said, she's got a video. I have to bring it up on the next. I'll have to find it and bring it up on the next episode. But she has a video where she's like going around with that gaunt look. <laughs> that, that touches me. That's you. <laughs> anyway, uh, the coyotes will take a chance near humans and livestock in a desperate attempt to find food, creating close encounters. These animals are immunocompromised, so their body can't fight it off. Um, they're searching for food because they're not doing well to try to find wild prey. And the risk is now worth going near humans and other livestock simply because they need that meal so badly. In addition to coyotes, mange can also attack deer and raccoons. Um, if you see an animal with severe mange, you're asked to report it to wildlife experts in your area to get it some help. So that's one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize is that coyotes, um, most animals actually, like I, I'm going to go out on a limb, not even on a limb, it's pretty firm. <laughs> most animals do not want anything to do with humans. Um, yeah. Like most of them are more, I wouldn't say necessarily scared, but they're more avoidant of you than you would be of them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like most of the encounters are because either we go into their territory and show up and, or because something's going on like mange and coyotes especially like are. Like rabies or something like that. Yeah. Um, coyotes are like especially fearful of humans and stuff. Like they don't want anything to do with a human or any kind of like predatory thing. So, but if they have mange, then guess what? They have to go somewhere where they can get an easy meal. And it just happens to make for these close encounters. And number one, people don't really know what a coyote looks like anyway, because you don't see them. And also if you see something with mange, it's like, that's, Something you would never even think of, so. Yeah. Um, one of my mom's fears is that she'll see a coyote one day and not realize it's a coyote. And I was trying, I was like, it it looks like a dog, but something is off. Like, you see it, and you're like, is that a dog? And then you look at it for a little bit longer, and you're like, it's not quite a dog. But she's afraid she's going to see one and not know it's a coyote. <laughs> I was like, I, I promise you, you'll know. Yeah. You'll know when you see it. Its legs and its head look different. Um, so in Louisiana, they've got a, the, it's called the Rougarou. Mm -hmm. um, the Rougarou represents a variant pronunciation and spelling of the original French. Um, and this, I'm just going to spell this out. L-O-U-P-G-A-R-O-U. Loop-garou. 
It's a Rougarou. Uh, according to Barry Jean Ancelet, an academic expert on Cajun folklore and professor at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, uh, the tale of the Rougarou is a common legend across French Louisiana. Both words are used interchangeably in southern Louisiana. Both people, um, or sorry, some people who are using both of these terms interchangeably, um, the they call the monster the Rougarou, also the Lougarou. I don't know how to say French words. It sounded so. like you just said the same thing. It's, huh? It's, so they're different words. So say, say it again. The Rougarou, uh-huh. it starts with an R. Oh, I did not hear that the first time and you said it. And the Lougarou. I thought you said the Lougarou and the Lougarou. <laughs> It's like, what? Okay, I got you now. The Rougarou legend has been spread for many generations, either directly from French settlers to Louisiana or via the French-Canadian immigrants centuries ago. In Cajun legends, the creature is said to prowl the swamps around uh, Acadiana and greater New Orleans and the sugarcane fields and woodlands of the regions. The Rougarou is often described as a creature with a human body and the head of a wolf or dog similar to the werewolf legend. Often the storytelling has been used to inspire fear, obedience, um, fear or obedience. One such example is stories that have been told by elders to persuade Cajun children to behave. According to another variation, the wolf-like beast will hunt down and kill Catholics who do not follow the rules of Lent. Oh, that's scary and so, sad. Follow your Lent rules, Aww. Catholics. Poor so, things. Um, this coinc- coincides with the French Catholic. Rougarou stories, according to which the method for turning into a werewolf is to break Lent seven years in a row. So you will turn into one if you, no way. If you don't do your Lent seven years in a row. Huh. I've never heard that. So, um, a common blood-sucking legend says that the Rougarou is under the spell for 101 days. After that time, the curse is transferred from person to person when the Rougarou draws another human's blood. Hmm. During that day... The creature returns to human form. Although acting sickly, the human refrains from telling others of the situation for fear of being killed. Other stories range from the Rougarou as a rabbit to the Rougarou being derived from witchcraft. In the latter claim, only a witch can make a Rougarou, either by turning into a wolf herself or by cursing others with lycanthropy. Um, the Rougarou actually got... And a feature on one episode of Supernatural in season four, episode four. So that's pretty that's pretty neat. Um, and because of that, the Rougarou has that star power we're looking for. It gets first place. Nice. So. Congrats, Rougarou. I also like the idea of it being like a religious punishment or like a witchcraft punishment. Yeah. That's pretty that's a pretty neat part of the story. Yeah. Um, I will say though that like if I know probably a lot of people that listen to our show. Or have also like watched Supernatural, and the first like five or six seasons or whatever before they get into like all the like all the like demons and angels kind of storyline part of the stuff, which is all still like the whole show is good. Yeah, but the first four or five six seasons where they're only dealing with monsters. Yeah, actually has a lot of like really really cool stories that yeah of monsters that people might not know about. I've actually never watched that show. I don't know why, because everything I see about it seems like a show I would enjoy. Yeah. I need to add it to my list. So, we're getting into flying things. Okay. I'm going to make a suggestion. Yeah. So we're almost at an hour, 50 minutes. 
I lost count, but I think we're about halfway through. We're at exactly. 20-something. Yeah. So this might be a good place to cut it and make this part one and then reconvene for part two to finish the second half. Yes. You thinking the same thing? I'm, I'm thinking so. We're an hour and 48 minutes in, and whenever I was reading through my notes, I was like, I can get through it. Not a and chance. We'll, be, <laughs> we'll only be like right at right at two hours. I, I lost count, but we're at like mid-20-something. We're, we're about half exactly a- 25. For real? Yeah. Next nice. up is Virginia, the Snallygaster. Okay. This has been really cool. I've learned a lot of so. new stories and that I have never heard of before. I've heard of some of them, like the Chupacabra yeah. and Chansey, I think. Was that its name? Champy. Champy. Yeah, I'd heard of that one. So, But a lot of these are new to me, and that gives us some super good ideas for more deep dive episodes. Yes, it does. So listeners, if you heard any that really piqued your interest, let us know, comment, or send us a message for ones that you would like more details on. Some of those are pretty cool. Yeah, I I do have like some favorites in there, like obviously the first place ones. Um, Oh, yeah. The Takuhi... Or um, top hat and the coat, yeah, and uh, Love the, that. obviously like the Rougarou. Yeah, um, I like the Dog Man just because of like the memes that have been coming out recently. Yeah, <laughs> Skinwalkers and the Dog Man and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Well, this was a really good start. Yes, it was. I like it. Maybe we can do film, record part two on like Saturday or Sunday and have it come out Monday or Tuesday. I don't know before the extravaganza starts. What do you think? Maybe we'll we'll talk about it. Um, yeah. I think uh, it. I don't. I don't want to be like uh, like really flooding everyone's Spotify inboxes, but I guess it doesn't really. Well, they can, really they can listen to it at their own pace. Yeah, fair. No rush. No, you have to listen when they come out. <laughs> Drop what you're doing but and listen to two hours of us talk. <laughs> turn your notifications on and listen. <laughs> no, I mean they can have a couple banked up to listen when they want, but. Yep. So yeah, I think this is a really good stopping point. Yep. Um, Very interesting stories. Here's what I will say: when you make a five star rating, because we know that you're going, <laughs> please, and you decide to rate, don't take into consideration our pronunciation of words. Your pronunciation of words. Ours. <laughs> please. There's been some pretty, some pretty harsh pronunciations in some Hannah episodes. Yeah. So, um, but. The, leave us a review, um, share our Facebook posts and our Instagram posts, and pu- uh, uh, pu- um, we didn't do an intro. We didn't do the intro. It just hit me. This is Country Roads Creeps. Wait, this is Country Roads Creeps. <laughs> I had a place on there that I wanted to put the music in, and I forgot to say the thing. Oh, no. Oh, man. This is Country Roads Creeps. So... <laughs> We blew it. We blew it. It's ruined. Oh, no. Um, listen. We're, I mean, no one's ever going to call us professionals. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Not a chance. Um, leave us five stars. And, and share us on the Facebook and the Instagram and like our posts. And it helps us out there. And if you need anything for Halloween, hit the link in the thing. And it'll take you to a place you can buy all kinds of Halloween stuff. And and the next the next time that we talk, we're going to be talking about flying things. We're going to be talking about paranormal things. We're going to be talking about some of the oddities. And we're going to be talking about some other animals. Yes. So if we didn't get to your state yet, it is coming. No, it's not. Part two. <laughs>
whatever state you're thinking of, we're not doing it. <laughs> That's the one that you left out. <laughs> yep. So, no, I did get all 50. I made sure of it. I Good. triple, triple checked my list. <laughs> Good. So, um, be safe <laughs> driving home. Watch out for the not deer. Or the Wendigos that are going to show up in part two. Bye. Bye.